Let us pray. God, we ask today, as we've worshipped you in song, to help us and help our minds gravitate to you, to your truth, to your goodness, and to your purpose. God, we ask that you meet our souls here with the commands of your word and the truth of your scripture at this time and this hour. Help us, God, to test ourselves by nothing but you. Test ourselves by nothing but the truth of your scripture. God, give us a longing to follow your example wherever we may be in life. As maybe we go forward as graduates or maybe we're in the latter years of our life. God, help us just to desire to pursue you, desire to be where you're calling us to be and desire to be with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are uh, taking a break uh, from our series we've been in in the book of Mark to examine God's word when it comes to uh, the role of deacons in the life of the church. This is, of course, in light of uh, next week's deacon election, but it's also a reminder of the example of God's word really for all of us. And so today, if you're sitting here and you're a guest of our church and uh, you won't be with us next week or uh, you're thinking to yourself, hey, I'm never going to be a deacon. What does this have to do with me? I want you to be extra attentive to our scripture today because the model that's set forward in the word of God for deacons is really a model for all of God's people, a model for Christian maturity. And so as you listen today, you're going to hear a testimony of what it looks like to be a Christian who is maturely after the Lord. And so it's with that in mind, you'll be called even to examine your own life and your own heart when it comes to your own faith. And so today we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in a message entitled, The Standard for Deacons and Disciples. And you're welcome to turn there in your Bible if you'd like to. Now as you do turn there, I'll share with you that deacons serve a role in the church that is biblically outlined and is under the church's mission and under the word of God. And if that role is fulfilled, along with the other roles that God has called people to in the life of the church, wonderful things can happen as a result. I want to draw your attention kind of as a beginning place for our message to what we call the origin of the deacon ministry from Acts 6 with some additional notes. And just listen this morning as we draw our attention to the scripture. About this time, when the number of disciples was continually increasing, the Greek disciples complained in the early distribution, or excuse me, daily distribution of food, that the disciples who were Hebrew widows were being given preferential treatment. By the way, we're in a different scripture than what's on the screen. Okay, you switched it back. Just listen to my words for just a minute, okay? The 12 disciples who were with who, excuse me, the 12 disciples who were the church's first pastor summoned the whole body together and said, it is not right that we should have to neglect preaching the word of God in order to serve tables or meet the tangible need of the church. So speaking to the church, they said this, you must look around and pick out from your number seven men of good reputation who are both practical and spiritually minded, and we will put them in charge of this matter. Then we shall devote ourselves wholeheartedly to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This brief speech met with unanimous approval, and then the church chose seven men. They brought these men before the apostles, 
And they, after prayer, laid hands upon these men. And because these men were practical and spiritually minded, as they did the work that the elders gave them to do, verse 7 says, so the word of God gained more and more ground. The number of disciples in Jerusalem very greatly increased. And that's what happens when we obey the structure that God has called us to in the life of the church. So now look with me uh, in your Bible at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 18, excuse me, 8 through 13. You know, I still got my Bible in uh, the book of Mark. That's no sign of my preparation, by the way. That's just, uh, I wasn't using this Bible when I was preparing. All right, so 1 Timothy 3, uh, 8 through 13. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So today I want to again share this message with you because we are about to have a a deacon election. And as you vote next Sunday and really between now and then as you consider who it is that you seek to appoint to this role, I want you to consider each person you're thinking of in light of this standard, not Starnes Cove standard, not my standard, not even our deacon body standard as exists now, but ultimately God's standard for this role, which then we seek to emulate on down in the life of the church. But Likewise, I'll say this as well, if you were asked to serve in this role, this is a standard from 1 Timothy 3, you're called to maintain. And the story of Acts 6 is the role that you're called to serve in. But this isn't just about deacons, and that's really the other point I want to draw our attention to today. This is also an example of Christian faithfulness. It is one we are called to, to consider in our own lives Uh, the responsibility to be mature in our faith. So as you reflect on these two points uh, today, I want you to consider this first matter, which is this is the standard for deacons, focusing really throughout uh, verses 8 through 13. Now here in these verses, Paul is giving Timothy guidance. This is who he's writing to. Timothy is essentially the lead pastor of the church at Ephesus, and so he's giving him guidance. And Timothy is receiving this guidance from Paul because he's seeking to structure the church in a way that's faithful to the word of God. And so he's reached out to Paul. Paul's reached back to him to communicate what is the church supposed to look like. He also gives guidance elsewhere in this chapter for uh, Timothy and other pastors too. But he's uh, specifically in these verses focusing on the structure and the expectation of the church when it comes to deacon. So first in verse 8, you see this word dignified, dignified, which is really similar to Uh, what we usually describe when we talk about somebody being above reproach. And it means that these men called to the deacon ministry should not be able to be reasonably accused of wrongdoing. Now, they may be accused of wrongdoing, but usually with innuendo and people assuming motive and things that don't require any time to think about. But they don't live that way in a way that can be clearly pointed to as wrongdoing. They don't live in a way that can clearly be pointed to 
as a shortcoming that's more pronounced than once, but really a lifestyle. That's the heart of what Paul's communicating. They're not double-tongued, the Scripture says. The idea that they are consistent in what they say and do, they aren't given over to gossiping or talking about others without a purpose, especially not negatively about the church and its vision. When they talk about the church and other leaders and where the church is going, if it's biblical and it's consistent with the context, they always speak about it with support and encouragement. They're not addicted to much wine or greedy for dishonest gain. They have self-control and they have consistency when it comes to what makes up life. These men must hold the mystery of the faith. When Paul uses this terminology, he uses it elsewhere in his letters, he means the gospel. A deacon doesn't have to be able to teach it, but he must understand it, believe it, and be able to explain it. And really, he should be regularly doing so as he shares the gospel with his friends, neighbors, and those inside the life of the church. So a deacon must have been converted by the gospel. He must know the gospel, be able to share the gospel, and hold the gospel with a clear conscience, meaning when he examines his own life through the lens of the gospel, he finds himself faithful, not sinless, not sinless, but repentant and faithful, meaning he is seeking to live a sanctified life, takes holiness seriously, repents of his sin when he's convicted or confronted. And he has a clear love for the word of God. A clear love for the word of God as evidenced by him being in it and not turning down an opportunity to study it. That means practically you'll see these men actively attending any opportunity they physically can to study the word. Sunday school, actively participating in worship, adult discipleship. This matters because sometimes deacons, like other leaders in the church, get to speak into decisions that the church is making. And they have to be taught the Bible well in order to rightfully understand how to view those decisions. So that requires them regularly being taught and being taught in the context of the church they serve and referencing the Bible in light of whatever decision that they are a part of. They aren't just positive about the church, but they are positive about the vision that God has given the church. God has whatever guidance and direction that he's called a particular church to, and they are in the middle of helping advance that privately and publicly. Verse 10 uses the word tested, and this means uncovering who they actually are by how they already live, not to some unbiblical standard of perfection, and we've got to keep that in mind as we examine anybody who's seeking to lead in the life of the church. We're not talking about people who are sinless. We're not talking about people who don't make mistakes. That's a standard none of us meet. But instead, when we look at their life, do we consistently see that they are pursuing Christ? Because we are under Christ. We are not under the law in the life of the church. But before they lead, their life should already look like the standard set out in 1 Timothy 3, and that's to be clear before they are appointed. In these verses, we also see a focus on the household, because if a deacon manages his home as a Christian man is called to, with order and discipline built on and seen through compassion and gentleness, then he's going to serve the church in this way. And you see wives mentioned here, a deacon doesn't have to be married, but if he is he is to only be presently married to one woman. 
But wives are mentioned here because a wife's behavior affects the whole family, including the deacon himself. She must seek after Christ and live in a way that is dignified, in a way that is self-controlled, because that will affect everyone around her, including her husband. And for the deacon, their wife and children who are still in their home should follow their leadership because they've been led with example setting that they desire to follow by their father or husband. And this is a standard for a deacon, again, because how you lead your family is how you will serve the church. Then as you do this service with this heart, for those who become deacons, this thing happens that verse 13 notes. First, you will be known for your faithfulness. These men certainly a reflection of the faithfulness of the church, and it will be magnified for God's glory, drawing others to Christ. Second, they will gain great confidence in their faith, the word says, because they will see the work of the Lord in them as they serve the church faithfully. The word deacon literally means servant because they render service to the church in submission to Christ, to the Bible, and to his order for what the church is to be like. In summary, a deacon's role is to meet the tangible needs of the church when called upon under the mission and vision of the church. But they really serve us, and this is the heart of where I want you to draw your attention today because this means something for every Christian in the house. They really serve us, most importantly, by how they live their everyday life because they set an example for everyone, including me as your pastor. Scripture says that they are to meet these standards, not just at the moment of appointment, but throughout their time as a deacon, active and active in the case of our church. There was a new teenage churchgoer who shared this testimony when he later became an adult. When I was young, I said, no to a date to the movies, choosing rather to go to the Wednesday night discipleship at my church. When I arrived, I looked for several people who were important to me. I looked for the familiar face of the deacon who had visited my family, but he was not there. I looked for the one I saw pray the Sunday before, but I didn't see him either. I looked for the one who had greeted me warmly at the Sunday morning service, but he wasn't there either. Perhaps these Christian friends do not take Wednesday night service as very important. So I thought to myself, next Wednesday night, I guess I'll go to the movies. Because the example of our leaders, deacons or other leaders in the life of the church, especially when they aren't actively fulfilling their role, but instead just pursuing their own discipleship, it matters a lot. It matters a lot. And so what do we do with this? This is our why, what, and how. Why does this matter what do we do about it and how do we do it? Why does this matter? Because our leaders will lead from their character. And their character will be proven by their faithfulness to the standard of the word. So when leadership is required, they will do so in a way that is biblical and faithful based upon how they already live. People don't meet a moment so much as the moment tests the truth of their character. So we must have leaders who meet the standard of God's word. And so what do we do? We have to pray for and encourage the faithfulness of our deacons. The very best thing we can do, particularly 
for the men who already serve in this capacity in the life of the church is to pray for them. Pray that God would strengthen their desire for his standard. Pray that they will be convicted of unknown sin in their life and offer your encouragement to them verbally. Speak affirmingly of them and their work when you see them. Verbally, it's important. It's important. Sometimes we just think our presence is enough of an encouragement and that's a good thing. Sometimes we think our prayer is enough of an encouragement and that's a good thing. But speak verbally encouragement to your brothers in faith, including our deacons. So how do we do it? Well, as you vote for deacons this next Sunday, before Sunday, vet them by the word. Meaning you need to open up 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, have your sample ballot beside you there and pray God helps you discern which men meet that standard and are right for the moment. If you've already circled names on your ballot, start again with the Bible. And remember, you do so gracefully because these are human beings, just like you. They have the same struggles, the same shortcomings, the same missteps as you do, the same temptations that you face. And so we consider them with grace as Christ considers us. Generally, do you see the standards in their life overall. Because sanctification is a process, church, okay? And we don't judge people by their worst moments. You hear? God is working through them. But this standard isn't just for them, it's really a standard for all. Again, look with me at 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. And I want you to be listening for your life in mind here. Take a step outside of the question about deacons for a second and hear whether or not you meet this call or are pursuing God in meeting it. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first and let them serve as a deacon if they prove themselves Blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, not sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The standing of verse 13 is this. As the church sees these faithful men serve as they are called upon with consistency and certainly humility, people see their example, and they are called up to that example. The average churchgoer is called to live as these men live, which is really, again, the key. We follow Christ as we follow Christ's followers, Paul indicates, including deacons. This time of selecting deacons is not just a time of examining their lives, but it is absolutely a time for us to examine our own, including me as your pastor. One pastor shared this story. A couple named Julie and Bob Clark were stunned to receive a letter from the church in July asking them to participate in the life of the church or worship elsewhere. They basically called us freeloaders, said Julie. We were freeloaders, said Bob. In a trend that may signal rough times for wallflower Christians, megachurch faith community of Winston-Salem has asked, quote, non-participating members to stop attending. No more Mr. Nice Church, says the executive pastor, newly hired from Verizon Wireless. Bigger is not always better. Providing free services 
indefinitely to complacent Christians is not our mission. Freeloading Christians were straining the church's nursery and facility resources, harming the church's ability to reach the law, said the pastor. When your bottom line is saving souls, you get impatient with people who interfere with that goal. Faith communities sent polite but firm letters to families who attended church services and events but never volunteered and did not belong to a small group where they could grow in maturity. The church estimates that of its 8,000 regular attendees, one half have volunteered in the past three years and a third had only attended one Sunday school class in a year. Before now, we made people feel comfortable and welcome and tried to coax them to sacrifice a little in return, says a staff member. That's changed. We're done being the community nanny. Surprisingly, the move to disinvite people has drawn a positive response from men in the community who like the idea of an in-your-face church. I thought a church that doesn't allow wussies, that rocks, said Bob, who admired the church more since they told him to get lost. As you'd imagine, that's not a true story. (laughs) Some people got a little nervous there for a second. (laughs) But maybe there is a point to it, especially as we are called to examine our leaders. We aren't here to call people to a standard that we ourselves are not seeking to meet. I hear all kinds of things over the time of ministry that I've participated in about deacons. My deacons don't know me. My deacon never called. My deacon is just in it for the title. I'd hate to tell you the things I've heard about pastors. Yet I'll tell you this, for most deacons I've spoken to across churches, they communicate their sense of feeling unqualified. And they often communicate their worry that they aren't meeting the task well in humility. I was encouraged this week when just thinking about the point of attendance that we noted in this standard today, when I looked at the 12 men currently serving as deacons, every one of them as a general matter is either attending or serving in Wednesday night programs, Sunday school, and worship. Praise God for that. I hear from more and more of them how unqualified they feel in their work, and praise God for their humility. But of course, that's not all the Bible calls them to, not just being present, but I am grateful that they're setting an example for us. And again, they set an example for me as your pastor. And so let us not examine these men as if we sit in judgment, but rather let us allow the words of 1 Timothy to also encourage us to that standard, to be men and women and children who ourselves seek to live up to these qualifications. Because really these things aren't exclusive to deacons, but they are really just the principles of what it means to live a faithful Christian, consistently pursuing Jesus type of life. So why does this matter? This is our why, what, and how again, because this is Christian maturity. We expect these men to be mature in their faith, and so we can in turn say if they are, then this is what Christian maturity looks like, including humility. So as you think on them, think on yourself. What do we do? Examine your life through 1 Timothy chapter 3. Are you living up to this standard where you are? Praise God for his goodness. It is only because of him that you can and you are unable to. And where you aren't, it is time to make changes in your life. And it's time to have grace for others who are also struggling 
And not just as you vote for deacons. You know, we're going to have this deacon election. We'll count votes. We'll announce names. Don't just have grace and mercy while you're examining a ballot, but two years from now when those people are doing the work of the church and they do something you're not in favor of, have grace. When they make a mistake, have compassion. When they slip up somewhere, have mercy. It's not just about the vote. It's not just about the vote. And so again, examine your own life for the First Timothy 3 where you aren't making changes, make those changes. Allow God to grow you and ask God to help you grow by your example in pursuing the word and certainly by the example of our leaders in the life of the church, wherever church you may attend, here or elsewhere. And how do you do that? Well, as you pray on your deacon election this week, pray for yourself as well. Maybe even start there. Don't miss this chance to grow in faith and in faithful action. So as you run down that list, examining these men, examine your own life. Put your name there and consider your own life relative to this call of 1 Timothy 3. And where God specifically convicts you, pray and begin to consider how to commit yourself to being the same example in this church that you desire for your leaders to be as well. Here in a moment, we're going to sing a song to close our service today. And if you've already considered these verses and God has already convicted you, praise him for that. Thank God. Thank God the Spirit of God is at work. Thank God God is still moving in your heart. And if that's you and you felt some stirring, some conviction, then come and pray. I'll be at the end of this aisle. Certainly these steps are open. You can pray where you are. God's spirit is not enclosed in a set of stairs. He is with you there too. But pray that God helps you to move, moves you to forgiveness, moves you to empowerment, to mature in your faith. And if you're an active deacon today, be encouraged. God is with you to hold your hand and so hold tight to that hand. Hold tight to that hand. God, give us wisdom this day and this week as you seek to appoint deacons to serve. unto that purpose. God called them to repent in the places where they need to repent. And God, encourage us by their example and their faithfulness. And God, help us in our own lives to examine the word of truth and faithfulness that you're calling us to. We thank you, God, for for people desiring to lead. We thank you, God, for conviction. We just thank you, God, for mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.